If you have a Bible, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to just share briefly this morning on the breath of God. That's a word that is kind of laid on my heart this morning for us, the breath of God. I, I had a picture just earlier this week in prayer, and I, was just, I just saw a picture of somebody here in church being filled with the presence of God, being filled with the breath of God. And then, you know, I just started to, to read a little bit more and, and, and kind of soak in that and, and ask the Lord what He's showing me. And I feel like this morning what He wants to do is, is He wants us to understand uh, the importance of His breath, the importance of His Spirit in us. And, um, I'm ex- you know, I, 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 I feel like He wants to draw attention to this this morning because... I don't know, how many of you have actually rowed a boat before? You got in a boat and you rowed a boat, or you rowed something. Come on, raise your hand. Rowing is, okay, pretty awesome, okay? It's fun to, to row a boat, okay? But it, it's not that easy, hey, using those oars as well. And it takes a lot of strength. How many of you this morning have ever sailed a boat? If you actually got on a boat and you sailed in the way? Not many of us, okay? There is a big difference between rowing a boat... And sailing a boat. Rowing a boat is all about your strength. Rowing a boat is all about your energy and your effort and what you can put in. And rowing, when you're rowing a boat, what you do is you redesign your boat as often as possible to make it the most streamlined, light thing you can do. Because at the end of the day, it's all about your strength that's actually pulling that boat forward. And aren't we always doing that? Aren't we always redesigning our lives, chopping things out of our lives? Because why? Because we're always tired, because we always lack energy, because we always... When you're sailing a boat, it's not about your might or your strength. It's not about what you can put in. It's about getting in the right position so that the wind can drive your boat forward. And let me tell you something. It's a much better experience to be pulling on a sail and powering through the waters than sitting in a rowboat, mustering all your strength and energy. And this is what the Christian life is meant to be. It's not meant to be a life where it's done all in our own strength. It's not meant to be a life where everything is dependent on your gift and your ability and your energy and what you can put in and how smart you are and how much you design your life and how well you organize your week and how well you organize your home and how much you put into your job at work. The Christian life is meant to be a supernatural life. It's meant to be a life where we, where we do all of that, but the wind of God is propelling us forward to places that we could never dream of, that we could never get to in our own strength. Yeah, I bet the Apostle Paul, when he looked back on his life, you know, he, he was a man who had two categories of life. I mean, he was a man who did everything according to the law, according to the book, according to his own strength, according to Jewish tradition. He did everything right in his own strength and in his own law. And then he encountered Jesus. <laughs> and everything changed. And he got filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God blew his life all over the Roman Empire and wrote three quarters of the New Testament through him. The impact, the, the, the stretch of his life was far greater than he could even imagine. 
And he, you know, and, and, and I wonder how far he would have got. I mean, in his own strength, he rise to a leader in, 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 in Israel. He rise to become a Pharisee. In his own strength, he was, he became somebody important. But in the power of God, he became an apostle to nations that planted churches in multiple nations around the world. There's a clear difference in his life between the time when he was doing it in his strength and the time when he was doing it empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And church, my goal this morning is just to salt you, just to make you hunger a little bit this morning for the breath of God in your life. My job this morning is that when you leave here this morning, you would, you would know how valuable the breath of God is, how important the breath of God is, how you need His Spirit in you, propelling you forward in your life. I'm going to start preaching before I get to my words. So let's just go to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, all right? You, you understand what we're going after this morning, yeah? All right. So this is a prophetic vision that we, we're going to jump into the story in verse 7, just to save time. And um, this is a prophetic vision that Ezekiel, a prophet of God, has been given. God takes him to this valley, and there's all these bones just lying in this valley. And not, not only bones, but dry bones, all human bones, okay, just lying in this valley. And, I mean, it must be like a quite a horrific sight to see something like that, skulls and femurs and tibias and libias and and, you know. And God tells Ezekiel and says to him, Ezekiel, see these great bones, see this dry valley. What I want you to do is I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to speak to these bones. And the word prophecy in, in, in the scripture, prophesy, means to speak under the inspiration of God, to sing under the inspiration of God, to teach under the inspiration of God. That's what he says when he says prophesy. And so, I mean, what, a, what an incredible thing to do. Like, God's trying to show him something. Look at this as it is right now, and now I want you to release prophecy. I want you to inspire and speak inspired word over these bones. And so verse 7 says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I'm an obedient man. And as I prophesied, there was a thundering noise and behold, a shaking and a trembling and a rattling and the bones came together. I mean, this is like one of those sci-fi movies, you know, bones coming together, bone to its bone. And looked and I looked and behold, and there were sinews upon the bones and flesh came upon them and skin covered them, but there was no breath or spirit in them. So some awesome stuff takes place, but there's a lacking element here. And then he said to me, now you've prophesied to the bones. What I want you to do is prophesy to the breath. Really, that's call out to my spirit. That's what he's saying. Call out to my spirit. Put a demand on my spirit. Stand where you are and put a demand on on my spirit. And what I learned from this is God's willing to pour out his spirit. But there needs to become, there needs to be a, a prophecy, a demand from us. There needs to be a cry from us, a hunger from us to call on the spirit. You know, if you're going to call on the spirit, you need to know the value of the spirit. <laughs> we know the value of our flesh. 
We know the value of our gift. And, you know, when we go to that meeting, Lord, I got to pull it out today. I'm depending on my degree. I'm depending on my experience. I'm depending on my ability to talk. I'm depending on my CV. I'm depending on my resume. We know the value of the flesh. And we know how important it is to have all of that together. But do we know the value of the Spirit of God? Do we know how important it is and how available it is? And what it can do to us and our lives when we start to put a demand on it. When we start to get a hunger for it in our lives. And so he said, prophesy to them. And so then he says, prophesy to the best spirit and to the breast, son of man. And say to the breath and the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come, come. Is there a cry from your life saying, come Lord. Come, Holy Spirit of God. I know my strength can only take me thus far. But I have an expectation. I have a revelation. I have an understanding of you in me and what you can do through me. And that's what I want my life to be. And that's how I want to live my life. And that's how I want to do my parenting. And that's how I want to do my job. And that's how I want to do discipleship. And that's how I want to do evangelism. And that's how I want to do my business. God, I want to do it with your breath flowing through me into everything. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. Come, O breath and spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath and the spirit came. You know, we're always surprised when God shows up. Hey, (laughs) I don't know why. It's like, you know. And they lived and they stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great host. Or some versions, your Bible might say army. An exceedingly, can you say that? Exceedingly great host. Would you look at somebody this morning and say, exceedingly great host. Come on, put your preacher voice on this morning. What was there was an exceedingly, (laughs) exceedingly great host. (laughs) Exceedingly great host. We're going to look at that in a moment. You can, if you have a Bible, underline that. Exceedingly great host. Underline, we're going to unpack that Hebrew this morning, what that actually is, okay? Exceedingly great host. I'm going to unpack it for you in a moment. But just, just to rewind into this, into the story, I want you to notice what happens here. Is that Ezekiel begins to prophesy and stuff starts to come together. And, and as I said, prophecy is inspired teaching. It's inspired word of God. And as that, that inspired word of God goes out, structure comes to this valley. Sinew comes, skin comes, form comes, shape comes. You know, bones all kind of look the same, but eventually something all started to change. And, and those bones started to look like People, unique people, unique faces, unique hands, unique ligaments, uniqueness started to come to that. And I want to say, you know, this is the power of releasing inspired word over our lives. You know, when we bring our lives under the inspired teaching of God, form comes to our lives. Shape comes to our lives. You know, things start to come together when you start to sit under the word of God. 
How many of you could testify this morning that, you know, sermons can change your life? As you're sitting there, there's, you know, marriage coming, parenting, finances, all this, you know, we're like transforming. The Word of God is, I'm thinking of transformers right now. Are you, are you thinking about the, you know, you know there's this, this stuff comes together and you start to think right and speak right and you, I live a holy life and organized life and time becomes the way you should be spending your time and this is the power of the word of God this is why we need to be people who are devoted to the word like the early church they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine that we devote ourselves to the preaching of the word that we make sure we're under the word because I'm a preacher of the Word, I make sure that every week I sit under the Word, under inspired teaching. I get sermons, I have particular channels that I drink from, and I make sure that I sit under it because I'm not exempt from this. I need to sit under the inspired Word. I need to hear that Word. It clicks everything into place in my life. I can sit under a Word and it just I can leave a different person. Go in one way, come out another way. That's the, the power of the inspired Word of God. But, you know, as amazing as that can be in our lives, it is possible, it is possible that we can be completely together, speaking right, thinking right, right Bible, right outfit, (laughs) going to the right meetings that we should be going to, Speaking the Christianese, hallelujah, brother, the right language, hallelujah. Throwing in a glory every now and then, you know what I mean? We, it's all on the outside, on the outside, it's all together. I'm together. I know this, you know, I know the doctrine, I know the Apostles' Creed, I can say the Our Father, I can, you know, I can, I can, I know the stuff I've been taught, I've been, you know, I've got it all together, but we can still be lacking. We can still be lacking. The breath of God brings life. And you know what, there's large chunks of Christianity today, which is just tradition. Man, they know the Bible better than some of you this morning. Man, they can quote it. Man, they could, they, they're there for Easter and Good Friday and the, the Morty Thursday and the, and you know, they, they know all the cultures and the traditions. They know all the right meetings and all the right things and all the say all the right things and do all the right things. Man, they eat the right food on, food on Good Friday, whatever. They do it all right, but there's no, it's all together on the outside, but there's no, <clears throat> I don't know how to say it. <laughs> on the inside. There's no life. You know, in the Bible, if you fast forward to the New Testament, we see a man called Nicodemus. How many of you heard? Oh, Nicodemus. Oh, yeah, it's a Nicodemus, all right? Nicodemus, we are introduced to in, in, in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And Nicodemus is introduced to us as a Pharisee. And later on, we find out that he's also part of the, the Jewish ruling elite called the Sanhedrin. So this is a man who by every standard of the day, and even probably ours today, is a man who is well-schooled in the law of God. He could quote the Bible, the Old Testament, man, huge chunks of it, the first five books completely. 
to be a Pharisee and live by all of those ceremonial laws, those those other, you know, the traditions, the feasts, everything, living by that. Not only that, a Sanhedrin, which means he was part of the ruling council, which means he was like the government, okay, part of the, the government of, of Israel at that time. So we're talking about high official. And if, if you were to see Nicodemus, you would go, this guy, he's, he's the man. If anyone's going to heaven, this guy is going to heaven. He's got it all right on the outside. And then he comes to Jesus at nighttime to find out who this Jesus is. And he says to Jesus, you know what? I know you must be from God because of the signs you do, but I'm struggling here. (laughs) Jesus goes straight for him and says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. In other words, you've got it all right on the outside, but you don't have the breath of God living within you. And he says those words in John 3, verse 6. He says, flesh give birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit of God. You need breath in you, Nicodemus. It's possible you can have gone to church your whole life and go through all the traditions and still be lacking. All the right outside, but the, the breath, the life of God lacking from you. So, it's so important that we understand that we have two components to us. We have this flesh component, but we also need the spirit component to us as well. When God formed Adam in Genesis 2 verse 7, he said, it says that he made Adam from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Two components, dust, flesh, and then the breath of God. And Adam became a living being. You know, wind is an amazing thing. It's incredible. You know, my, my family, we, we enjoy the ocean, and we love to surf and, and whatever else we can do in, in the ocean, all right? Swim and have fun in the ocean. And so one thing that we, we always do is we're always checking the surf report to find out, you know, what are the conditions going to be like there? Is it going to be worth going down? Is it, you know, is this going to be a good day for surfing or not? And one of the, the, the biggest influence on a surf report is the wind factor. And so we have all these great apps that predict the wind and tell you which way the wind is going to be blowing and how strong the wind's going to be blowing. And that is the first thing that you look at when you go to when you're wanting to go to the ocean, you wanted to see which way the wind is blowing. And we know that if it's a northeast blowing, the ocean is going to be choppy and messy, and the surf's going to be messy, and it's not going to be a nice time, all right? But we know if the southwest is blowing in Durban, the ocean's going to be nice and smooth and flat, and the waves are going to come, and so it's an offshore wind that, and what happens is that as the wave is forming, the swell is coming, the wind picks it up and makes it like a nice barrel, so it's perfect, for surfing. So we know when we, see the, when we see the wind blowing in this direction at this particular um, angle, then, then what we know is it's, it's going to be good. And I, I know you've been down to the ocean. You've seen the ocean. The ocean can completely change when the wind changes direction. You know, sometimes you wonder if it's the same ocean. How many of you have been to the ocean when it's beautiful? And how many of you have been there when it's stormy? And it's like, what is going on? The biggest factor that's influencing the ocean 
is the wind. It can literally, you've sat at a lake before, and you know, like, it's, you're enjoying a nice lake, and then all of a sudden, a wind comes up, and that ocean and that lake that was so smooth and flat is transformed into something that's raging and dangerous and, and, and something that's wild. And what's actually changed is it's the same ocean, but it's just, it's the wind that's completely transformed it. And sometimes it can happen right in front of your eyes. I mean, you know, the disciples were once on a lake and it was an awesome day, and then suddenly a wind came and they thought they were going to die. That's, how, that's the power of the wind to change the ocean. And in the same way that the, that the wind transforms an ocean, the Spirit and the breath of God can transform us too. It says there in your Bible, you underlined it, it transformed this valley of dry bones into an exceedingly great host. Can you say those words again? The, the, the Hebrew word there is kail. Kail, okay? You got to say it with a bit of Hebrew. Kail, all right? And it really means this. It means a force, whether of men, means, or other resources, an army of wealth, valor, might, power, riches, strength, valiant, virtuous. I mean, look at some of these words here. This is, this is what this, these words, exceedingly great hosts, are trying to convey to us. I mean, this, this word... Is, is so rich um, to use the word army is just it's almost not enough you have to say exceedingly great before it uh, to say the word host it's not enough you have to say exceedingly which means more than it's, you're talking massive amounts valiant virtue you're talking about virtues you're talking about position you're talking about resources you're talking about ability you're talking about strength and you're talking the same thing that used to be a valley of dry bones. And now it's something incredible and powerful. And what we see here is, is this is the power, the breath of God in us. This is what happens when the breath of God arrives. It transforms us into that valiant, virtuous, army, powerful, mighty, Exceedingly great. This is what happens when God's Spirit breathes into us. And the question I have for us this morning, as, as a collective, as a church this morning, are we that? Are we that? Individually, okay, think about it. And corporately this morning, are we that? Are we that on the campus? Are we that in the community? Are we an exceedingly great host? Should I switch? Or are we just together? All the form, all the shape is there. We've got an awesome Vision statement, mission statement, we've got all the right categories, kids, youth, we've got all the right meetings, connect group, intercession, is all the shape there, are we just the shape, or are we an exceedingly great host, 
And the difference is the breath of God. And it's possible to be one without the other. It's possible. You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. You've seen that. And what I want to say to you is, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that body that's got all the right stuff. It's all together, but we're not a force to be reckoned with. We're not an army going out, changing, transforming, saving, healing, delivering, impacting, reaching, discipling, making a difference. What's lacking? Oh, man, what's lacking? It's the breath of God. (laughs) How we need the breath of God, church. How we have to start hungering for the breath of God. We can't be that exceedingly great host without that spirit of God breathing through us. Join me in, 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 in John chapter 20 quickly. John 20. John 20. I want you to see um, just how the breath transforms these early disciples. It's gone quiet, eh? Mm. I know you're thinking. I know you're thinking. John 20, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors, people. (laughs) The doors were locked and bolted, hidden away. They They were behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus had been crucified, and there they are, Small group of disciples, the 12 of them behind locked doors, afraid. Who's going to go next? What bad thing is going to happen next? What's going to go wrong next? Who are we going to lose next? Negativity, pessimism, doubt, confusion, fear are prevailing in their lives. And then... It says, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. And he said, peace be to you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Thank goodness Jesus is here. Hope restored. And again, he said to them, again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, how many of you watched the movie Narnia? And, and, and you've seen Aslan, the lion. You know, he's a picture of Jesus. And Aslan also is, is like sacrificially lays down his life. And, and then he gets resurrected as well. And, and there's this one part where, you know, the wicked witch has, has, has turned everybody into stone. And they like, you know, there's all these people who are like frozen, you know, in stone. And, and they arrive at the Wicked Witch's castle, and there's all these statues of mighty people who are, have been trapped by the enemy. And you wonder, like, what's going to happen? How are they going to be set free? And there's this awesome moment where Aslan the lion breathes on the statues. And, that, and those stone statues start to crack, and flesh comes back, and then they become this exceedingly great army. Uh, it's a wonderful picture of what's 
what Jesus is doing here. Isn't this incredible? I mean, you know Genesis. You know what God did. He formed man out of the dust, and then he breathed into Adam, and he became a living being. And here is Jesus coming now after the resurrection. And what is the first thing that he's doing to these scared disciples who are hiding out? Not, there's not much impact in their lives. There's not much they're going to be able to do with their lives. They, they've, they've locked and bolted the door. They've got trelly door, slam lock. You know, they're, 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 they're hiding from the world. They're not even thinking of impacting or changing the world. What does Jesus do? He breathes on them. And what happens with that breath that he breathes on them? Well, just that moment when Jesus comes and he breathes on them, just from that moment, courage is restored. Hope is restored. And what happens is that they go find another 120 followers of Christ and they gather together in an upper room and they start to pray nonstop day and night with fastings and crying out to, out to Jesus, out to the Father. So that breath that came upon them, the small group, propelled them to gather others and to pray, enabled them to pray. How many of you struggle to pray? <laughs> Every single one of us, feet up in the air, you know, we, we struggle. How many of you feel like hiding from the world sometimes? Isn't the world big and scary? I mean, just like sometimes you really, do we... We get that thought in our mind, what difference can I really make in this workplace? This place is like Jesus, you know what? I don't know. These people, this is, you must just come back, Lord, because how many of you have driven around our city and seen stuff that you don't like and you just go, oh, Lord, put the window up, put a good tune on, just focus on something else, you know, just get home, get lock the door and have a little quiet time. We can identify with them, hey? We can identify with them. But then Jesus breathed on them. And momentum came. And their prayer life got back on track. And they were able to gather around other people and pull other people together. And so we start to see momentum coming to their lives. They gather in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. They start to cry out. They start to pray. They do some hot prayer. They're crying out. They're praying. They're praying. And guess what happens? The sound of a mighty rushing Wind, breath, same word pneuma, all right, in the Greek as the word ruach in the Hebrew, okay? Breath, the breath of God. It's like God just <laughs> from heaven down on that room. And, they say, and then suddenly there was like tongues of fire that appeared to them. Suddenly there was great boldness upon them. And they went out onto the streets. And they started to preach. And they started to lead people to Jesus. And just that day, 3,000 people got saved. That sounds like an exceedingly great host. That sounds more like what they meant to be, yeah? What was the necessary ingredient for them? It was the breath of God came upon them. The breath, when the breath comes, man, we see, we go from hiding from the world. We go from being defeated from the world. We go from just, just me, my family, my, I'm okay, to out into the streets, to giving to others, to expanding the kingdom, to starting a prayer meeting in our workplace, to gathering some people together for discipleship. We start to impact the world when the breath of God comes. 
And so this exceedingly great host is released, and they start doing amazing things for Jesus. And the death threats, the world fights back. You know, the empire strikes back. The, the, the world strikes back at them, and they, and, the, and they start threatening them with death threats. And, you know, there's just all sorts of chaos happening. And so what do they do? They go back to the room (laughs) where it all began and they begin to pray until God shakes the room. They filled with boldness and they go out into the world again that was threatening them. The world that drove them to that place, they go, the, the things that they were scared of, they go and tackle with great courage. You see, we need to be big on the inside, church. Not on the outside. You know, I love that illustration of a, a little girl sitting with a big candy floss. Spook awesome. What do you call it in? What's that? Mac? Candy, candy floss. <laughs> you know, this little girl, little girl sitting with this big candy floss, and somebody says to her, My girl, are you going to eat that whole thing? And she says this to him I'm a lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. <laughs> One plus God equals majority. Anything possible, anything is possible with God. Anything is possible with God. Revival can happen in your workplace. Your neighbors can get saved. I don't know what's going on in your block. I don't know what's going on in your road, in your res, or around you and in your family. But with God, I want to tell you something. That can transform. That can change. People can get saved. You can be a fire starter. You can go and start revival. You can lay hands on the sick and they will get well. You can cast out demons. When they take up residency in your place, they, you can cast them out. Things do not have to be the way they are because you are here and God in you is the hope of the world. God in you is the hope of the world, but is there enough God in you? Do you have enough breath in you? <laughs> We need the breath. So we see this pattern. We see this pattern. All right? You're getting this. Here's the pattern. A.V., why don't you put up that slide where they gathered, they received, and then they would go. And then they would repeat that. They would gather, they would receive, and then they would go. This is, this is the pattern of the New Testament. Gather receive, go. Can you say it? Gather, receive, go. Look at somebody and tell them, what did they do? They gathered, they received, and then they went. Took it to somebody else and tell them, what did they do? They and go. It's really that simple. I feel like I need to wake a few giants this morning. I, I feel like there's some mighty men and women in this house. I feel like some of you are sitting behind locked doors and you need to be released. <laughs> and God's breath is just wanting to pour into you and transform you and turn you into the tongue-talking, devil-stomping, dead-raising, amazing, anointed woman-man of God that you are. Are we an exceedingly great host, church? Come on, let's be that. Let's be that. Let's be that. 
Let the city be different because of us. Because we gathered and we received and then we went. Hey? And it's that simple. I mean, and if you just keep looking at this pattern, it's amazing. They understood this. I, I, we gather, we receive, we go. We, we can't do this in our own strength. It was entrenched in them. They understood that when the world got too big, bad, and scary, ah, gather, receive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. I'm much bigger on the inside now. <laughs> Greater is he than he that is. Do you get that? Is he? Is he? Greater is he that's in you than he that's what's inside that counts. Look at this scripture, Acts 13, I think it's 13. Acts 13, it says, And the disciples were continually or repeatedly filled throughout their souls with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were continually, repeatedly filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They got this. They really, really got this. And in Ephesians 5, 18, it says, don't get drunk on wine. Amen. Don't do that. Okay. Stop it. All right. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be or keep on being filled with the Spirit and the breath of God. Question. If there is a command to do it, all right, that presupposes that if we have to, if there's a command to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, it presupposes that we're able to leak the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Otherwise, the command wouldn't exist. Isn't that right? And so the truth is this you do, you leak God, you run on empty. You need to refill your oil. Just like your car needs to be refilled with oil. I watched this funny movie. I, I didn't want to show it this morning for the sake of time. But these guys, you know these like, these guys who do these car shows, some of them are crazy. They decided to drive a car without oil. Just let's see what happens, you know. And they drive this car without oil. And the next thing, man, clang, 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 This engine's overheating. Smoke's coming out the bonnet. This thing is dead. Dead, 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 dead. You know? The, the engines, the pistons, the whizzness, and the whizzness, and the, they all together. <laughs> they've all, they've all, the engines like soldered together in the heat, this smoke, kill it. You know, there's, there's nothing you can do with that engine. Just because it didn't have oil. That mighty engine, those shiny pistons, those cool-looking valves, those amazing pipe thingy-mabobs, that radiator, those wheels on that car, that amazing outside, 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 all there, but no inside, inside, inside. It goes. (laughs) There's a lot of sound effects this morning. (laughs) Feels like kid church. Ah, if, just those quick patterns, if Jesus breathed on them, they then gathered and the the spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. They went out and then in Acts 4, they, they had to come back together again and God shook the room. All right. Question. If, why, why did they need Acts 4 if they had already got Acts 2? 
And why did they need Acts 2 if Jesus had already breathed on them? (laughs) Obviously, we leak. Obviously, we have to gather, receive, and then go. Obviously, there's a loss that takes place, and we have to go back and get filled again. And you know what the problem is this? Is that we really like changing the oil in our cars. (laughs) For 95% of us, we don't really think about it. Because we're so carnally minded. We really think that we can do it in our own strength. We're really bad at being filled, let's be honest. We know how to go on empty for a very long time. And you know what? Sometimes things have to get so bad and so empty and that engine really looks like it's going to explode before we actually just drive in and we put a bit of oil in it and it's all okay again. (laughs) We're bad at that. I want to encourage you this morning. You've got to learn how to be filled. I want to talk about this next week. How do we get filled? How do we get filled? I'm going to talk about that next week. You know what also we're bad at? Is going. Can you just put the formula back up there? The, the, we, we're, not, we're not really good at, at actually all of that. <laughs> Can, are we able to gather until we receive? Yeah. And then is there anywhere that we're actually going at the end of this? Or are we just hoping to receive so we can have like a, that was awesome and something to talk about over lunch. Powerful service. Powerful, hey? Presence of God. Feel new, hey? Woo! Man. You know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm new again. But are we going anywhere with that newness? Are we actually on mission? Is there a mission field that we need, that we, that we're targeting that we need to be filled for in order to go to? Is there any space that you're going to? I want to ask you this morning, where's your mission field? Do you have a mission field? Have you committed to that mission field? Have you said before God, I will stand in the gap in this place. I'm going to see these people get saved. I'm going to teach them the word of God. I'm going to see my block get saved. I'm going to see my race get saved. Lord, I'm going to stand here in the gap. This is my mission field. This is where I know that you have called me, and this is where I'm going to be of service to you. Do you have a mission field? Every Christian needs to have a mission field. Let me tell you something which church gets it wrong. Church gets it wrong when we think that missions is a team in the church that goes and does it somewhere in another nation. That's where we get it wrong. That is one expression of worship, and we need teams to go and do those things in other places. But mission is something that you go to once you leave these doors. (laughs) We have to start thinking like that, people. We have to know that we've got to stay in this room or we've got to pray in this room. We have got to gather here, and we have got to receive because the moment we walk through there, we are on mission. We're going on mission for Jesus. Why don't you nudge the person next to you and ask them, what's your mission field? Where's your mission field? Do you have a mission field? Check, 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 check. Please, please, please. I want you to check this morning. Ask them. Do you have a mission field? 
So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to finish now. But I'm not sure if it's this. I'm not sure if we're not good at being filled and therefore we're not on mission or whether we're not good at mission and therefore we're not being filled. <laughs> I don't know which way it is. I know in, in, in my life, can I tell you what happened? I went on mission before I was filled. <laughs> and then I suddenly realized, I'm on mission. Jesus, fill me. I've got to lead a connect group tonight. I've never done this before. See, my personality is normally like, let's do, and then we think later, right? <laughs> so, so typically, like, when, when my pastor was like, yeah, we're going to do connect groups. I'm like, yes, we are. Organize, organize, organize. Okay, everyone's texting. We're going to be there at six. And then I'm like, uh, Lord Jesus. I think I need some filling. <laughs> I need some help. I've never done this before. How do I teach from the Bible? How do I, how do I, how do I, how do I? So I, I learned that, you know, when you go, and guess what? He always filled. He's always filled. And, and, and so for me, it was, it was make your mission and trust God to fill you. The early disciples, it was don't go anywhere, guys. Be filled and then go. And so I don't know which one it is, but I do know that mission and being filled are inextricably, lovely word, linked. You can have one without the other, all right? Mission and being filled are critical. Why else do we want to be filled? Just so we can shake and shiver and say, hey, hallelujah, brother, what a great service. Or is it so that we can extend the glory of God over the city of Durban? Huh? We've got to be on mission, right? We've got to have a reason to being filled with His Spirit. There's a, a wonderful song by Tasha Cobbs, my number one gospel. Uh, she, she sings these words, You provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice. You provide the spirit, I will open up inside. Fill me up, God. So, um, and, and this is it, though. Like, this song captures it. It says, we want him to fill us up so that we can be that mighty army for him. So that we can be holy. So that we can, so we are the sacrifice. We're laying down our lives for mission and we're trusting him for the fire. But I want to say, let's not be the church where we're just trusting for the fire for the sake of the fire. We don't have that. There's no sacrifice. Like, what is the sacrifice? I'll provide the sacrifice. You'll provide the fire. What is the sacrifice? Maybe it's your Thursday evening. Maybe it's your early mornings where you're going to intercede. I don't know. Where is your sacrifice? Because you know what? You can't have fire without fuel people. There needs to be a sacrifice. What are you sacrificing for Jesus? Is there a sacrifice? Is there something that's costing you? Oh, this is going to be tired. I'm effort, but I'm going to do this because it's for you. It's for your glory, Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you bring that into the space of worship and you cry out and you say, Lord, I'll provide the sacrifice. You provide the fire. You become an exceedingly great host. You're getting the two together. You're getting the two together. 
we're, I'm going to finish with that song. Can we put that song on? And I want you, as we do that this morning, can we just stand to our feet this morning? We just, we're done, all right? As we do that this morning, and we just listen to that song by Tasha Cobbs, I want you to bring your sacrifice to the Lord. What is your sacrifice? What are you laying on the altar? And let's just worship and allow the Spirit then to come and fall on us. Thank you, Jesus. You provide the Spirit. Yeah.